Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and James 1, 13 through 15. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. And in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And James, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Thanks, Rick. So we're making our way, as I mentioned, uh, through Rooted. Uh, today we're going to talk about the fact that there's a real enemy that we fight with, we battle with. Now, to understand our scripture passage and what it says, we need to understand how, uh, how everybody looked at the universe, the world, in biblical days. Basically, there was a three-story view of the world. Uh, up above, there were the heavenly realms, and everybody thought there was like a giant black sheet over everything. The little holes in it were the stars, and uh, that's the heavenly realm. Then there's the world that we live in, the atmosphere that we live in, the planet that our feet are uh, are placed on and then and then under the earth was where hell was uh, and it, it gets hellishly hot if you go down far enough but you know in our modern view of things we understand that there's something beyond the border of our atmosphere we've dug down pretty far and it's really hot down there but uh, we haven't seen anybody running around with uh, pointy ears and a pitchfork down there as we've made our way because their view of the universe and the world was different than we are that doesn't make what they say wrong In fact, it, it makes a lot of sense to us that there is this spiritual realm that we only get to interact with from time to time. And we realize that that's bigger than who we are. And we realize, as we talked about last week, that, that there is suffering in the world and that there's a battle going on in this world. Now, simply for me, I see the battle out there and I feel the battle in here. And again, the, 
the description that we find in the Bible might be simple, but it's not simplistic. And again, the, the understanding of the Scripture is, is very accurate, even though it might not have all the details we want. And so we have a lot more details about our universe and about our earth and even about our own existence than we did in biblical times. But I, I believe the architecture of what we see here is not uncommon to what we still experience today, even though we have more details than we did in biblical days. So I believe because I see it out there and I experience it in here, what Paul says in Ephesians is very, very accurate. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, that last little phrase seems to not even make sense to us, does it? How can there be, how can there be evil spirits in the heavenly places? Again, that's everything above the, the uh, black ceiling of our universe. And the battle that's taking place up there, so to speak, is the battle that is taking place down here, and it's the battle that's taking place in me. It takes place in me. I see it around me. Therefore, what is described that perhaps I haven't experienced, I believe about what's happening in the heavenly realms. And so when we're talking about an enemy, we need to understand that it's a real enemy. It's a real personality. And I, I hope in terms of experience, experiencing the evil and Satan, you haven't had to experience a lot. I hope that you haven't had to experience very unusual spiritual battles that have taken place or are taking place. And all I can tell you is I've experienced enough of it that I believe it's so. I believe we are in a, a, a daily battle. And, I, and I, I believe that ultimately, well, the battle's won in Jesus Christ. Remember, as I talked last week, you know, we're between the ages, as theologians say. Uh, you know, Christ came to the planet, he died on the cross for our sins and resurrected, and now his kingdom of God is at hand. But the culmination of that, the full experience of that, won't happen until Christ comes again, till we die, till we go up into the, into the heavens. We're in a battle, but don't don't believe for a minute that we will not be victorious. That Jesus was not victorious over death on the cross. Colossians 2.15 He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame 
by triumphing over them in him. So who wins? Jesus. Who's won? Jesus. Who will win in the end? Jesus. Let me give you another example. You know, when they sign the, uh, the peace agreement in World War II, that didn't stop all the battles that took place, did it? In fact, years later, as people made their way into like Micronesia and areas like that, there were still Japanese shooting at people. We're still in a war. No, we're not in a war anymore. Well, see, there's, there's been a declaration of peace and reconciliation that was signed, so to speak, when Jesus died upon the cross and resurrected. But there are still battles to fight until the war is completely finished. And that battle and that war will be completely finished when Jesus Christ returns to this planet or we die and go to heaven. But we will be, we are victorious. Overwhelming victory is ours. Now notice it doesn't say overwhelming victory will be ours up ahead. It doesn't say that. It says it in a present tense. Actually, overwhelmingly is an aorist tense, but who knows what that is. It means an action now and it continues into the future. So, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. Now, we often feel like we're dying in the battle of good and evil. We're for sure suffering no one disagreed with me all week long about suffering. I didn't get any emails. Nobody talked to me in the grocery store. Not about that. Affirmation after affirmation after affirmation. Yes, we all suffer. And the reason we suffer is because there is still a battle between good and evil. And isn't it interesting that most other world religions, one way or another, acknowledge that truth? That one way or another, we're in a, a, a battle between good and evil, either out there or where? In here. So one of the words that we're using this week in Rooted is stronghold. Now that might be a term that you're very unfamiliar with. So I want to talk for a minute about strongholds as we look at the whole issue of temptation because I think the battle is really fought, so to speak, within us, and that's all about temptation. But let me say this. The reason you want to fight against the temptations that you have, the reason you want to face off with the sin in your life is because if you don't fight it, if you don't resist it, if you don't dig your heels in, that will create a stronghold for evil, for the evil one in your life. Isn't that what Paul says? Don't give evil, don't give Satan a foothold. 
And that's one of the challenges I'll say to you as you go and deal with everybody else because everybody else just says, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's normal. It's natural. That, that's just the way we are as human beings. No, I want to tell you, it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. Because if we don't fight temptation, we are giving the evil one a foothold in our life, and we know that is true, don't we? Man, we know that is true. Now, James wants to make it pretty clear to us. Temptation comes from our own desires, right? Many times our own good desire. And then along the way, that gets twisted. C.S. Lewis, he's, he was a great author. He did the Chronicles of Narnia, which you might be aware of. He said that sin is twisted truth. And that's exactly what it is. A, a good desire, a good need that we have goes awry. And that's temptation. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us, and I love this, drags us away. Have you ever been dragged away by your desires? Darn tootin' you have been. That's one of the things about the Bible. Every time I read it, it's talking about me. It's describing the world that I live in. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to, what's it say? Death. Ooh, that's not life. Death. Little, little things, medium-sized things, maybe even large things, die within us. Our sinfulness causes death to come to relationships. Our sin causes us to not bring our best self to certain circumstances and situations in our life. Have you ever shot yourself in the foot, so to speak? Oh, yeah! Yeah, I got, I got two feet, so I know I've done it twice. Sin diminishes our hope in the future. It dashes our dreams and our aspirations. Now, do we want temptation to turn to sin? No, let me give you a fishing illustration. Uh, and this is all very true. When I go fishing, I come with my rod and my pole and the best bait I think I can bring because my my desire is to catch a fish i i know they call it fishing and not catching for a reason but my objective is to catch a fish so what happens to us the bait is thrown into the water 
we're swimming around, we see it, we don't pay a lot of attention to it. Then all of a sudden, because it's got a little flashy thing on it and it smells pretty good, well, I'm going to just go look at it. Maybe I ought to check this out. It could be something really good. And if your bait imitates something that the fish like to eat, now you're on to something. Oh, you mean our temptations are about a good desire that we want to get twisted on the way? Oh, yes. And so finally, we're so attracted to what we've been looking at that we go and we take the bait, and that's called being hooked. And one thing you learn, especially when you fight bigger fish, as soon as that hook is is consumed you set the hook and you know when satan is setting the hook on you don't you yeah boy i boy i do it hurts it's confusing it creates worry and anxiety and depression and fear and we know something dies We feel the guilt and the shame, and something dies. And so we need to know our potential for sin. And one of the simplest things to do is just keep distance between you and what your sin is. And don't misunderstand me, I'm like you. I I have what I call my pet peeve sins. You know, I I give them to Jesus. You know, I go to the prayer thing and I confess and my sin goes in the trash can and, and then I sneak around later and I sort through the trash can and even though somebody's thrown something on top of it, I'll still search around in there to get it back. Don't tell me you haven't done that. Don't tell me you haven't done that. How human of us. How human of us. So temptation is real. We take the bait. We get hooked and then we're landed and something dies in us. When I I catch a fish, man, I want to get it in on the shore. And if it's a a silver salmon, then I go over with a club and I club it in the head. Oh, I know it's dead after that. It does a little shaky thing that we call the, right? Yeah. So temptation turns to sin, things die. We need three things. Number one, That's why we need confession and forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. When we confess to him, he's a great God. He forgives us of our sin, and I love this, and he wipes the soul, the slate of our soul clean. Clean. He forgets it. We're the one that keeps remembering it. 
Number two, that's why we need accountability and encouragement. Hebrews 10, that's what the church is all about. The church is all about creating a sense of community where accountability and encouragement are going hand in hand. Man, I don't know about you, but I need a friend. I don't know, there's got to be somebody in your life that you tell everything to. And if you don't have a friend that can take it, then hire a therapist. Get a counselor. You pay them to keep, keep your, your darkness secret. Now They're also there to bring some light and some life to you. But you got to be, we got to be honest with at least one other person about what's going on with our sinfulness. And notice I said accountability and encouragement because we need somebody that's for Hey, it's okay, I still love you. It's okay, I'll walk with you. It's okay, we need to pray about that. And this week, one person became a Christian. Let's pray about this. You need Jesus. The other thing we need is we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you really think your willpower is good enough? Man, I'm old enough to know it. It's just not. When I was 20, you know, 22, you know, I, I thought I knew everything. That's why you need to hire somebody right out of college because they know the answer to everything. <laughs> Don't they? And I was still fit enough, you know, I was eight feet tall and bulletproof. Wow, I, I don't think any of that stuff anymore. Why it's called maturity. Oh, you can just get old and not get mature, but that's, right? Let's see, men are just 13-year-old boys with more expensive toys. Yeah, I think that's pretty true true for me so what do we do we run around scared all the time that the evil one is is going to overcome us do we do we throw our hands in the air along with a lot of people in the culture and say said you know what it doesn't matter i can do whatever i want to do with whoever i want to do it as long as i don't hurt someone Oh, it's that last part that needs to be mulled over quite a bit. Because many times the person that's hurt is you. It's you. So what we need to do is put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Don't be a coward. Don't need to be. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be. Therefore, put on every piece, notice, every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy. See, resist the temptation. Make it through the battle that you go through called your daily life, your weekly life. Resist. 
Resist the enemy in the time of evil, in the time of temptation. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. And that's the goal. Isn't that your goal of getting to Friday? Oh, yes, it is. When you're working away, you're toiling away, you're so happy when hump day gets here. You know gravity is a law because you feel a little pull to Friday. Oh, there's hope. Saturday is coming, right? Sunday's coming. And then tomorrow morning, everybody armors up again and heads out to the battle known as their job or the committee that they serve on or the group that they hang out with. So let's go through. I want you to be completely armored up. Paul starts with uh, the belt of truth. And that truth simply is the truth that God lays out about God, about others, and us. And, and where do we resist the truth? Where, where do we resist the truth about God revealing himself to us? Do we... You know, are we spotty about believing the truth about other people? And when it comes to us, we all have blind spots, don't we? And so the, the Holy Spirit speaks truth to us, maybe through another person, but sometimes he, he just whispers uh, to us. Other times we, we go to a therapist and we discover our blind spots, the truth about us. Now, real quick, just so you know, I studied up. The old school phrase is you would gird your loins with truth. And here's why. Let me just check one more thing. No, I'm good. All right. So, do we have that person up there? Did we get a... Did we get a caricature of a, an armored-up person up there? Okay, I'll just tell you then. When you look at pictures of warriors, especially in biblical times, the interesting thing is, is they really had a thing kind of like a kilt, or uh, you might call it a, a dress. They had something that went down to their knees, and usually it was a panel in the front and a panel in the back, maybe little panels on the side, but mostly the front and the back so that most of the time you'd have a great freedom to run. When you got ready to battle, what you did is you took that front piece and you pulled it up and you tucked it in the back of your belt. You took the piece from the back and you picked it up and you tucked it in the front. You girded your lines. The truth is, is, oh, there's a battle having to do with this part of who you are, if you get my drift. <laughs> right, guys? Okay. Gird your loins. Put on the belt of truth about God about others, about the world we live in, about the culture we live in, about ourselves. Where are we being tempted? Where's the bait? Man, the bait's everywhere. 
It's everywhere. Okay, number two, the body armor of righteousness. And, and we get uh, body armor, right? Uh, the idea that there was a, a, a piece of metal that went on the front and a smaller piece that went on the back, uh, we get that. It's a protection of what? Our heart and our soul. Really one of our more vulnerable places in our life. And so righteousness is about being right with God. Righteousness is about continuing to be right with God, the, the process of transformation. It's about living rightly in accordance to the truth of God. And we all know what the devil can do with that. Oh, we're just fine. We're comfortable. We're, we're safe. You're not safe. All of your comfort, part of it's an illusion. Because even if you're retired, you're still in a battle. There's still righteousness for you to experience and actualize inside of you and as you make your way in the world. All right, now we go to our shoes. Anybody ever drumped? Drumped. <laughs> Has anyone ever, let's see, it's either dropped or dumped, I don't know, uh, something on your foot, especially on your toes? Okay, so you know why you need to have shoes, shod your feet is the old term, cover your feet, and you're to cover it with peace, peace. The good news is peace. You don't, you don't have to be at war with God anymore. You don't have to feel alone in the battle against difficulty and evil and problems and challenges and suffering. You don't have to do that. You got, you got feet, feet of peace. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he, he came to save us, not condemn us, that he forgives us in our weakness. And in our sin, he hasn't left us alone. He's given us the Holy Spirit. So we have a helper, a counselor. So the next thing is the, the shield of faith. Now, who can help me out? The shield of faith is designed to do what? To extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, here's hopefully something you've never been told before. The shield that Paul is talking about is not a metal shield like you're used to seeing in a video game or in a Renaissance picture. The, the frame of this shield had some animal skin on it and when you went into battle, what they would do with that animal skin is they would put it in water because they knew that as they ran across to meet the, uh, the enemy, they were going to have archers with flaming arrows that they were going to 
shoot their way. And because the skin was wet, it did what? It extinguished the fire. Faith extinguishes the fire of the evil one. It's the last thing Satan wants you to do is to have faith, to trust in Jesus Christ. He gets us all thinking it's up to us. We're all by ourselves. And so we need that shield that moves around, you know. Sometimes you get shot from over there. Sometimes you get shot from over there. So we need a shield. Second to last, put on your helmet of salvation. You need to come to Jesus. You're already living in an evil world. You have a choice to trade up to a God of power, of strength, of victory. You can keep losing and you'll lose in the end or you can turn the other way and start winning. Start living a, a victorious life in the midst of the challenge and the struggle and the suffering. You can find help, a resurrection to the dead parts of your life that temptation and sin have brought your way. Now notice the a helmet sits on your head, you're probably the smartest people I've ever collectively, I, I've, I've ever had the opportunity to preach and, and teach. We got more degrees and diplomas and titles and successes, trophies and medals and ribbons and all of that. And so Paul says, it is about how you think. It is about how you think. You have to align and protect both your heart and your soul, guys, and your loins, uh, your heart and your soul and your mind. If you're going to love God with all your weight, oh, heart, mind, soul, and strength, you need something on your head other than a slouchy beanie, right? Man, go to the south, man. Those ladies got hats. Put salvation on your head. Work it out. It makes great intellectual sense. Not just practical sense, both. Okay, last thing is the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God. And, uh, and that sword is the only offensive part. It's defensive, but it's the only offensive part of your entire uniform. And it's given to you so that when Satan gets pokey, you got something to poke back with. When you're in a battle, you've got something to defend yourself with, but also move forward with in, in victory. Now, why would Paul burn up all of this time with the armor of God if he didn't think everybody needed it. Now 
Now, there's a battle going on, I know, because last week I talked about suffering, and this week I'm talking about the enemy and strongholds. And remember, a stronghold happens because you won't fight your temptations. If we're fighting it, then, then Satan has to work really hard to get a, a, a foothold. And Paul says this because he knows we're in a battle. You mean 2,000 years ago when this was all, there was a battle every day. It could be a physical battle. But man, you want to talk about spiritual battles, all you have to do is study biblical history and you know that there were spiritual forces at work all the time. Evil spiritual forces moving about all the time as i stand before you today i know that there are spiritual forces creating a battle out there and in me every single week every single day And I've lived in areas where a, a, a lot of practices that are not godly have taken place. And there's a, a good warning not to mess around with evil for a reason. Because all it takes is a, a foothold. All it takes is a little accepting instead of fighting. Leaning against that temptation. And Paul says he, you should win. You will win. You'll not only win as you make your way, and I have to look back and I've won more than I've lost, but I've lost some. I've suffered. But when I look back, I can see that I've been more victorious than I've been defeated. And it's not me. See, the sword of the Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And, and, and it's true. The, you know, the, the righteous path is a little narrow at times. And that means if we want to be on the right path, it takes some intentionality on our part. I want you to always be able to put up a good fight. And that'll happen as you put on the whole armor of God. Let us pray. Lord, we, we want to start by... Uh, by admitting that we have temptation, that in the last week we've, you know, we, we've uh, given in to that temptation and we've sinned. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're very good at detailing uh, the variety of things we have a tendency to sin about in your word. And so, Lord, what we want to do in this moment is confess it to you and how that confession really handing it over to you, how that really changes how we feel on the inside. We can confess to you because we know that you love us and you accept us. 
that you came to save us, you didn't come to condemn us. That we have the Holy Spirit and he whispers to us good counsel and he helps us make our way from confession to forgiveness to new life. Victorious life. Jesus, we're thankful that living for you, living with you as our Lord and our Savior, the leader of our life, that that is the best way to live and we thank you for that and we pray in your name.